in my former stomping grounds. I'm at Capital One Arena right now for the first time. Well, yeah, former because like it was three months ago. But formerly, you've had a lot of former stopping grounds. So yeah. I think people will assume by you saying that you're heading off somewhere, yeah. unless you're heading off somewhere. No, I'm not heading off somewhere. Okay. I just it doesn't feel like the, they still play. The Wizards still play basketball. I don't know. We were talking about how I haven't been in this building okay. for a while. It's I don't not know. your former I, stopping ground. I shouldn't be a writer. I'm at a place where I haven't been in a couple of months. I'm at I'm at my technically wherever you are is your stomping grounds. I'm in my, my current oh, I guess so. I'm in my current stomping grounds which which were also my stomping grounds before. Uh, we are in Capital One Arena. The Wizards just had a press conference introducing about six hundred and eighteen people. Uh, I'm Fred Katz, I'm the host of Wizards After Dark, a couple of the Wizards for the Athletic and the man correcting me about <laughs> stomping ground semantics is uh, Michael Lee, also of the Athletic. Yeah, sorry to jump in before my inter- inter- introduction, but I just had to correct you because I'm like, unless you had an announcement that this was your former something, then um, that would be news to me. And I, I figured you would break it to, to me before you broke it to everybody else. No, enough um, <laughs> enough employment announcements yes, today. Yes. Uh, so it's around uh, 5.20 right now. Uh, we are like in the camera room where a gentleman is lugging a ginormous bag behind me. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've been recording these podcasts on on Skype for the last like three months, or like you know in person, and it's like kind of quiet. And now I'm doing. We're back to the former, yeah, the former, yes. format of this <laughs> thing where I do them in the arena and it's loud and you got natural sound all over. So the Wizards announced. Well, let's call it the press release because I want to get the title. You mind calling up on your phone? Sure, sure, sure. Um, I want to get the titles right on all of this. So yes, the Wizards yeah. announced the hirings of. A bunch of different people. Tommy Shepard uh, as general manager, which was expected. Uh, we reported that on Friday. Uh, they are bringing in Sashi Brown, who was most recently in sports with the Cleveland Browns as executive vice president over there. He's also with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's making the jump to uh, chief planning to basketball. operations officer for monumental basketball chief planning. And I'm, we're going to get into exactly what that means, or at least we're going to try to get into exactly <laughs> what that means. Uh, they are bringing in Daniel Medina uh, for athlete care and performance. So he's basically a doctor and sports scientist who was with the 76ers the last couple of years. The Sixers, by the way, did not renew his contract as of a couple of months ago. And uh, you can, you can Google it. Keith, Keith Pompey, over the Philly Inquirer, did a, a nice little rundown about why that was, and he was formerly with FC Barcelona. They're promoting Gr- Brett Greenberg, who's been with the Wizards for like 10 years, up to assistant general manager. They are moving Sasha Jones, who has Vice worked for... president of community relations. And yes, and has worked for the Wizards is, forever. Yeah, every player on the team that's ever gone through here, for as long as she's been here, loves her and uh, swears by her. Might be the most popular person in the Wizards organization. Absolutely. If you... If if anybody can get John to do something, it's her. She can get John Wall to do whatever, and she can get Brad. Whoever it is, if you need something and you need a wizard star, Sashi is the one that can get through because everybody loves and respects her. So I, I wrote I wrote a profile about yeah, her. Backbone. Of yeah, her. earlier this year about like how yeah. no one could get Paul Pierce to do anything. Yeah. And they were like, all right, Sash, go. <laughs> Go do that. Uh, yeah, you can read that on The Athletic. Uh, did I forget anybody? John Thompson, oh, John Thompson the third, yeah. of course, former Georgetown uh, coach. And if I'm going to be honest, I, I understood, like, 
the words that were being described as John Thompson's uh, as John Thompson's role in that he's he, it sounds like he's going to be working with with the players on the the non basketball parts of being a basketball player. Yeah. Uh, but but I I don't think I fully understand what his role is going to be. Yeah, I'm not sure how it's going to play out, but I know that the one thing is is. And they said it throughout the press conferences that they want to focus on the whole player, the whole person. And I think one of the things that even Adam Silver sort of touched on was just how a lot of players, even though they're making a lot of money and have a lot of fame and success, and sometimes there still is a lot of happiness or a lot of emptiness that's missing, you know, from them because they haven't, they don't necessarily feel totally fulfilled. And I think that his role as a coach and as a, you know, longtime basketball person who sort of understands how players deal with, you know, situations. I mean, even though he's, you know, worked with college players for a long time at Princeton and Georgetown, he had, you know, Otto Porter, Jeff Green, uh, Roy Hibbert, you know, some other guys that he's helped lead to the NBA. So he's always been connected and he's maintained those relationships. I remember doing a story of him during the season and talked to Jeff Green about him and just how, you know, he was like a second father to him, you know, because he said that when he showed up at Georgetown, his dad pulled up to this campus and said, this is your father, you know, while I'm gone. He's going to be the one to take care of you. And he said that even since he left Georgetown, he's been the guy that sort of been his sounding board and somebody who can, he's very relatable. He's somebody they can have conversations with. So I think he's more about trying to help people sort of find that whatever it might be missing, whatever basketball or money can't provide for them, he's going to try to help them you know, navigate life through that way. And, you know, so I think it's just more about trying to establish just a culture um, and just also giving players an outlet, somebody they can speak to, talk to, and also just have an avenue to try to find just to be a whole person as opposed to just somebody who's just on demand, go out there, perform, and, you know, be happy with your paycheck. So the first person I kind of want to talk about in depth because there are a lot of important hires here. Sashi Brown's probably the most interesting. Yeah. John John Thompson might be the most flashy, at least locally. Yeah. Um, although Sashi Brown's pretty flashy too, considering he was a name with yeah. uh, with the, the Browns. Browns. And yeah. and I do think something I wrote this morning. It's up on the Athletic. And I, I spoke to Ted Leonsis about this. I think it is fascinating that we are six months removed from Ted Leonsis saying we will never ever tank. <laughs> and he just hired football Sam Hinkie. Yes, someone who tanked harder than anybody. I mean, one in one in thirty-one or one twenty-seven. He yeah. retired before yeah. he finished. I mean, and, and just acquired as much draft capital as he possibly could. Yeah, and took this extremely. I mean, it the I don't know enough about football compared to what I know about basketball in order to analyze what he did in Cleveland the way I can analyze what Hinky did in Philadelphia. Yeah. Now, I'm sure there were differences between those two things. They're different sports. They're different people. They're different situations. But the narratives behind the two of them, I mean, Sashi Brown went in there, created a cult following of like, look at what this guy is doing. Yeah. Getting so many draft picks. The Browns are stacked. Then they ownership got rid of him before they because they didn't have the stomach to finish out the plan that they had originally obviously approved because he was doing it for a little while and 
then brought in somebody who just kind of brought in vets, and now like the Browns could be like pretty good. But there are the Colt, the the Colt Sashi Brown people who are like, if, just imagine if you kept him, yeah. how much better they could have been. Do you know what he could have done? And we'll never know. I know, and I have a chance to speak to him, and I'll be writing a story about just you know how much that drives him. You know the fact that he wasn't able to finish the job, and uh, how competitive he is, and like how even though he didn't have the success on the field. Um, he still took every loss personally, and like, so he does have a chip, you know. So he's coming here, you know, hoping to bring a championship to DC. He's got local ties. His, uh, I believe his wife went to Maryland, and um, you know, so I mean, he obviously grew up in Boston and went to Hampton and Virginia. So he's familiar with the area. He's always considered this area home. So um, I think being a part of this and working with this organization. Although I'm still like, there's so many titles that it's hard to figure out how everything's going to work because he's going to work with Tommy Shepard, the GM, but he's going to answer to Ted. And so there's going to be some interplay with him working with Brett and the cap. And and so it's kind of hard to figure out like what everyone's going to do. I think it's going to be a a really, um, it's going to be an adjustment period for everybody to kind of figure out like, what can I say and what kind of power do I have to do whatever? So I think everyone's sort of learning and uh, it's going to be an interesting mix because, like I said, there's so many names and there's so much ambition behind what Ted is trying to do that you kind of want to give him a fair shot, but you also can look and say, how is this going to work? <laughs> yeah, well, so Ted, Ted is constantly talking about now collaboration, right? And yeah. so is Tommy Shepard. They're both, they're both throwing that word around left and right. It's clearly something they want to get out there, and I do believe it's something they genuinely believe because you put together a front office with this format because you have collaboration in mind. Uh, somebody asked in that press conference, who is reporting to who? Yeah. Uh, should have said who is reporting to whom. Uh, I, I, as soon as he asked, I was like, please, Ted, please tell him you should have said whom. Uh, come on. Remind him of the, the indirect object there. Uh, Ted answered it by saying, well, you know, everybody's, everybody's hunky-dory talking to each other, and they all report to me. That sounds great. It does. It sounds awesome. People say so-and-so doesn't have an ego. You can collaborate with so-and-so. So-and-so is a hypothetical person now. I have no idea of Sashi Brown, how, how Sashi Brown's ego is. Yeah. People say th- this person doesn't have an ego. You can work with them. That's never true. <laughs> Everybody has an ego. Some people – if you don't have an ego, you can't reach the level of success that every person sitting on that stage, on that podium today at that press conference could possibly reach. Absolutely. Because if you don't have an ego, then you are not confident in yourself. And if you're not confident in yourself, you can't reach there. The ability to collaborate and collaborate successfully and pull that off is not the ability not to have an ego. Because not having an ego is not a positive thing. It's yeah. the ability to push your own ego aside. And, and that's, that's that, you know, you, It's interesting you mentioned that because when you say that, I remember – like Tim Duncan was just hired by the Spurs as an assistant coach. And I remember everyone sort of made Tim Duncan to sort of be egoless. And, like, it's it's impossible for him to be egoless because he wouldn't have won five championships, he wouldn't have won two MVPs, and he wouldn't have won three finals MVPs if he didn't have an ego. He just had an ability, capacity to work with other people and to defer whenever necessary. And ego's not a bad thing. But ego's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You need ego. You, but you also need to not allow that to, be, to become arrogance to where then mm-hmm. you just can't work with people because you just think you know it all. And I think that's what the Wizards are going to be trying to trying to strive to achieve is that, you know, 
yeah, we all have had successes or failures even in different places, but we want to succeed here, you know, and I think I, I asked Tommy about, um, you know, his, how he's going to work with uh, Sashi, and he said that, you know, they actually had a chance to communicate. Um, they've also they've gone through failure, you know. This year was a failure for the Wizards. Um, they didn't achieve their goals, um, and it's interesting to see what would have happened if they say got in, snuck in as an eight seed. Would Ted have done something this dramatic if, um, you know, they reached their goals, <laughs> whatever that may have been? Um, and you know, so I think sometimes it's it's good to have a reset. But um, but yeah, I I just I'm interested to see how it's all going to play out because I'm just. I'm not quite sure if I completely understand everything. I and mean, you had a chance to talk to Tommy and and Ted, um, you know, in depth. I mean, what what are you? What's your takeaway from how this whole thing's gonna? My takeaway mm-hmm. is that I, I think I think it's okay not. My takeaway is that I think it's okay not to know. Okay. Like I think it's totally acceptable for someone to be like. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, I think how the hell could I possibly know? Like, so we ask because I don't know if they just don't want to. So when someone asks the question, who's reporting to whom? Like, and and they don't really say. And 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 I spoke about it with Sashi briefly, and he said Tommy is going to make the final call on basketball decisions. But that is different than I report to Tommy or Tommy reports to me or neither of us reports to either. Because if the actual hierarchy works where they just didn't really want to answer it because they didn't want to say publicly, they don't want to divulge information about their their secretive process or, yeah. or, or because it's as simple as like today's a happy day. We don't need to talk about how like I'm his boss and demean his position on this big day or whatever it is. But if Sashi is technically ahead of Tommy, Sashi could still say Tommy is the head – basketball guy i haven't worked in basketball yeah. so when we're talking about making a trade i'm not i'm not going to say i know more about which player is better or know about which prospect we should ask for to grease the deal or those sorts of things i'm going to stick to my areas of expertise in technology and uh you know helping in other ways organizationally and the law expertise which can absolutely help with collective bargaining matters and all those sorts of things and then after a year, he could say, you know what? I get it now. <laughs> and he could say, you got to trade Bertans. Yeah. I, I don't think he's good. Tom could be like, no, he does all these great things. You can't say anything. I don't think he's that good. And, and then that's when you're like, that's where collaboration yeah. goes to, no, I'm higher than you. And I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying. I don't know. No, yeah. Anything's there, a, a possibility with this, and I have nothing to compare it to. Yeah, and I, I think that, um, you know, I, you know, walking off um, uh, with someone, uh, it was like, uh, I, said, they asked, I asked, what did you think? <laughs> and the response was, it feels like a lot of cooks, right? Like, yeah. It feels like there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen, and um, you got to figure out who's going to be the sous chef and who's going to be, like, the guy in control. I mean, I guess... We we kind of can sense how the hierarchy is is playing out, but I think that everyone is sort of um, going to have to really figure it out. It's going to be on Ted. I mean, this is really all on Ted. Um, he's going to have to be the one to dictate how this whole thing comes together. He's going to be the one that breaks all ties, you know, for for lack of a better uh, way of phrasing it. And he is going to be the guy 
who's going to take the criticism if this fails. It's going to be on him. And I think that, uh, you know, in the past eight years or nine years, or nine years that he's on the team, Ernie Grunfeld was an easy punching bag for fans. He was easy to for fans to get riled up and furious and throw spit fire at him because he was the guy. Fire Ernie. You know, you saw all the uh, signs in the arena whenever something went foul, whenever things went south, it was always on Ernie Grunfeld. Um, he no longer is there to provide cover for anybody in the organization. You know, it's on Ted. So he's got to make this thing work. He's got all, and not just you know, from the structural standpoint with his staff, but he's got to make it work on the court. And I thought it was one of the best uh, things that encouraged me from what he said is I let the fans down. I thought that was pretty profound that he was willing to say that um, because I think he came in, you know, with a a set of ideas of how things were going to happen, you know, being an owner of the NBA team. And you look at just all the owners that sort of took over around that 2009-2012 period, um, you know, he was seen as one of the more progressive, you know, forward-thinking guys, um, but he never really did much to put his, say, stamp on the organization because it sort of just sort of ran the way it had been with Ernie calling the shots. This time, he's sort of stepping out and saying, okay, this is my team. Um, I'm going to build it the way I want it to be built, and I'm going to set up a structure that's going to be unique and um, I think you mentioned the Clippers would be the comparison. Well, that's what he said. Yeah, well, yeah. He, well, he, mentioned, he said the yeah. Clippers would be the comparison. But and like, you, and you look at them. I mean, right now they've obviously had the best summer of any team, or right up there among the best teams. And you look at their structures. Like, who gets credit for getting Kawhi and Paul right. George? And like everyone says, oh, it's Jerry West. He's the genius. But then it's like they got you know Lawrence Frank and they got all these other people. Right. And the, the difference though is they have NBA lifers. Jerry yeah. West, yeah. NBA lifer. Yeah. Lawrence Frank, yeah, he, he wasn't an exec, but NBA, NBA lifer. lifer. Yeah. Uh, Michael Winger, NBA lifer. Yeah. Trent Redden, NBA, NBA lifer. lifer. Yeah. You, know what? you know what? Even Lee Jenkins is an NBA lifer. <laughs> it's a totally unconventional hire yeah. and was outside the box. And so I, I, I do get what Ted was going for. But the big difference is they got a bunch of NBA lifers. Yeah. Now here, Tommy Shepard is an NBA lifer. Mm-hmm. Breck Greenberg is extremely smart. And yeah, I've had a lot of people tell ever. me they think there's a good chance he's going to be uh, a GM one day. Uh, from the time he got hired, everybody says we're all going to be working for him one day. Yeah. Like that's what everybody says about Brett. And um, so he's moving along the path right. that I think everyone anticipated. For but that being said, and this is totally out of his control, I mean, it, he's been here for 10 years, but it's because he started working here. Like, right out of college. Yeah. Like, he's a young assistant GM. Yeah. So, like, he's an NBA lifer in that he's been doing it his entire life. Yeah. His life's not that long. He's yeah. just very successful for his age. Yeah. And so, like, it's not like a Lawrence Frank thing or even Tommy Shepard thing where it's like he's been doing this for 25 years. Yeah. 25 years ago, he was in kindergarten. So, <laughs> so it's, it's yeah. just it's, – it's a different sort of situation. Yeah. Then you got Sashi Brown, you're bringing him in from outside of basketball. You got John Thompson, obviously a basketball lifer to yeah. to the literal degree yeah. because and, of and who his father who is. has a, incredible ties locally. Mm-hmm. It's not from Georgetown, but just growing up here with his, like, with his mm-hmm. father. Um, he knows everybody in the city. And um, and I think that I think it was important for Ted, you know, as a Georgetown alum, to sort of have somebody that fans can sort of connect with. And I think that's a name that people will mm-hmm. obviously um, gravitate to. Yeah, and so I, it's just the the aggregate number of years 
not necessarily in basketball, but in the NBA, you add them up with the Clippers. I mean, like what, Doc Rivers alone, 30-something? Yeah. Uh, Lawrence Frank alone, 30-something? Yeah. Jerry West alone, 40-something? 50-something. Yeah, fifty some. Fifty some years. Yeah, I mean, right there, we're 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 approaching two centuries, <laughs> literally, like literally. Yeah. With just like their top five or six most important people in the organization, and that's not the case here. Now, that's not necessarily a terrible thing, because I was I was talking to somebody. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are different ways to go about building a successful franchise. I mean, there's no, um, you know, this is how it has to be done, and I think that. Uh, one thing I can say about Ted, I don't know if this is going to work out for him or not, but I can say I respect that he at least is trying something. Sure. You know, takes um, guts to it, to do something does. different. And, and and you know, and I think that he knows, or if he doesn't, he'll find out soon enough that um, that the fans will definitely hold him accountable. Mm-hmm. If it, and I, I I think that you know everyone sort of goes in, goes into this season knowing with John Wall not playing that this team is probably not going to be one of the best teams in the West, I mean, in the East. So it's going to it's gonna be a rough year. It's going to be a rebuild year um, in some sense um, that they're trying to establish a culture, trying to establish something, you know, that they can move forward. And I think that maybe in two years, like this is all about trying to get ready for 2021 as well, where maybe they can become a free agent destination, which is something they have not been, you know. Um, maybe they can attract somebody uh, down the road to think, okay, maybe the Wizards are a place where I can go about playing. I think there are a lot of things that Ted has been going about, you know, emphasizing. Like, one, the fact that, you know, he wanted to have a big three, you know, because that seemed to be the way the league was going. We had three stars, and they were all homegrown, and that's what he wanted to build. And then, obviously, they got off auto and traded him in uh, in uh, February. And so now they have their own two, right? And trying to build a whole entire team, focusing on depth and focusing on, um, you know, you know, just versatility, defensive versatility, the things that sort of help the Raptors win a title. Because I think they learned a lesson. You can invest all you want in three big stars, but what if one of them gets hurt? What if one of them has a setback that could, you know, alter their career? What do you do then? Mm-hmm. And I think that. You know, Ted talked about just the introspection of all of that, and I think that's where he is, where this is a challenging period because they have to figure out what they want to be long-term while also figuring out what they're going to build with John Wall with whatever condition he'll be he'll return in. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, so I was, was talking to somebody around the league who was saying to me that this is a very smart person, saying that that he thinks that the most one of the most overrated things about running a basketball team is knowing about basketball yeah and and that it's funny Sasha said the same thing yeah Yeah. that like you the more important thing is knowing how to assess risk and knowing how to make decisions and that if you have enough basketball people around you who are able to identify not just talent in terms of player evaluation but also identify good scouts and identify a smart you know assistant gm vp those sorts of people then you can lead decision making processes if you know enough you don't have to be a basketball lifer you can yeah. just know enough to get there and i think it's interesting because the person who was saying this to me is a basketball lifer mm. uh and and goes this goes against this person's resume <laughs> uh but he believes it strongly, and I think it is 
it's an interesting thought process, and it makes a lot of sense. And I don't really know where this is going to go, but the change is interesting. I do, I do want to talk about the change from the Grunfeld era, too. Sure. Um, Tommy. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, like, they talk about the collaboration stuff. Like, I don't think people realize how top-down they were <laughs> yeah. under Grunfeld. Yeah, um, you know, uh, you know, like a lot of people, like when you see Tommy, it took, you know, April 2nd till July 22nd for him to get, to, you know, promoted, like officially a promoter. You broke the story. But, I mean, today he was the Damn straight. Guy. Yes, you, Fred Katz, <laughs> broke the story, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but on July 22nd, he officially gets promoted after several months. And the immediate question is, well, why would it take so long for Ted to pick this guy? Why didn't he just hire him right away if he knew he wanted? Why would he take him through you know, all the interview process where he's talking to all these other guys and he's, you know, making an offer to Tim Connolly and he's interviewing Troy Weaver and Danny Ferry. Why would he drag them along? Why would he do this? Well, he didn't know them. You know, and I think that that's something that a lot of people don't understand is that even though, uh, you know, t- Tommy worked for Ted for the last nine, eight, nine years, they had no relationship because other than just crossing paths and shaking hands and, you know, exchanging pleasantries, they didn't know each other because of the way Ernie Grunfeld structured things. Um, Ernie, when, when he was the general manager of the New York Knicks, was blindsided by being fired during a season that the team went to the NBA Finals, which I'm sure to this day probably stings more than anything else. I mean, it's 20 years ago. He makes these big trades. Marcus Camby, Latrell Sprewell gets all these guys in place to build a team that goes to the NBA Finals, and he gets fired during that season, and <laughs> because of a, a you know a heated sort of um, you know breakup with Jeff Van Gundy and everything else, right. power struggle. And they there. also underperformed a little during the right. Like that was mid seed. Yeah, that's the only yeah, eight seed. I know. Yeah, the so yeah, but still, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, for sure. No I mean, there was talent on that team. Yeah, I mean, it was the Nick, the last beloved Knicks team right? for sure. Um, so I think that maybe the last ever, (laughs) (laughs) but he, but he learned from that experience that his, whatever his next job was going to be, he was going to make sure that he was the lone voice that communicated with the owner. The owner worked to him, went to him. If there's any question he had about the basketball team, come to me. Don't go to the coach. Don't go to the, you know, come to me. And that was sort of the way he, when he went to Milwaukee, he established a great relationship with Herb Cole, um, so so such a good relationship with Herb Cole that when Michael Jordan looked like he was ready to buy the franchise in '03, um, he let Ernie get out of his deal to come to Washington um, before it even well, there was even a close before Jordan even closed on the um, the sale of the Bucks, which obviously didn't come to fall through. But he had worked such a good job with the Bucks and making them sort of a contender that when he came to D.C., it was just smooth, no. No bitter type, give me draft picks or whatever compensation. It was just like, you're free to go because Michael's probably going to hire somebody else or he's going to run it himself. And that was sort of with the understanding. But anyway, when he got here, work with Abe Poland, it was a unique situation because Ernie, I mean, Eddie Jordan was the coach and he was hired before Ernie was because Ernie, they didn't know Ernie was going to even be available. But they hired Eddie, then Ernie. And so Eddie had access to, to Abe. And Ernie. Like that sort of created a little tension between the two of them for the uh, five six years that they worked together. It was always a little uneasy thing because Eddie knew that if he had an issue, he'd go straight to Abe. Ernie didn't necessarily want that. So when Eddie got fired, 
in 09, Ernie got exactly what he wanted, which was a straight line to the owner. Nobody else, you know, getting involved. And um, obviously Abe died shortly, you know, thereafter. And so when Ted became the owner, that became solidly the, the structure. Anybody else who knew Ted could speak to him, but they weren't going to get through to him, you know. <laughs> and and only Ernie was going to do that. So for the last nine years, Tommy worked for um, Ted Leonsis, but he had no relationship with him. So these last two months where he actually basically auditioned for the job, getting preparing for the draft, preparing for free agency, executing all these you know, great trades, you know, to uh, acquire assets, draft picks, young prospects, you know, getting off Dwight Howard's contract, all of these things. This was the opportunity for him to show Ted what he could do, but also show Ted who he is. And I think that a lot of people aren't aware of that. And that, so that's my little back history of the Grunfield period and why, you know, it wasn't just an immediate thing that he was just going to hire Tommy and this was an audition period as opposed to um, just, well, let's just, let's just ride with him because he's here. To me, I love that. I think that's super interesting. But to me, I think the if you're going to have a criticism, I think the biggest criticism, and I'm not the first person to say this, <laughs> is, man, how'd this take so long? Not like, not like, not oh, like yeah. how'd it take so long since April 2nd when they fired Ernie. I mean, because from what I've heard is that now that they're three and a half months removed, like Monumental, not just Ted, but Monumental in general is like, they kind of lift you up the hood and they were like, wait, what the hell is in this thing? Like, there's like, there's like a old Whataburger in there and like, <laughs> someone like just left the wrench right in the hood. Like, what is, we thought this was like uh we thought this 69 Camaro was in good shape, and it's like, we just, what the hell happened here? Yeah. The criticism is, why could the entire Reddit page see that, but you guys couldn't? <laughs> and that's the criticism, and that is a fair criticism. Uh, but I think there's been some sense of like, oh, whoa, this this went, this was worse than than we thought it was, and for whatever reason... We were we were blinded to it. Well, not only that, um, you got to think about, you know, Ted's goals were um, results based. I mean, his his objective was to make it to the playoffs. One thing I wonder though, and Ted's been open about like that was my goal, and and Ted, Ted's not going to throw a former employee under the bus, especially not someone who he liked and respected. Yeah, for sure, uh, he, he's not going to do it, and, and like no one would would do that in that situation. It would, because it would just it would just look bad. If only because it would look bad. Even if you want to, it would just. It's like you fire the guy and you're gonna bad math him. That would it would look terrible. But I've always wondered, like, owning the Wizards as Ernie Grunfeld is GM is Ted's only like that's his only experience with a GM in basketball. Yeah. And I've always wondered, and I I genuinely don't know the answer. Is that how Ted felt, or is that how Ted was pushed to feel? Uh, people always say, why does he run the Capitals differently than he runs? The Wizards. Uh, was Ted, and I don't want to make it seem like Ted is this impressionable person who can't, is incapable of individual thought. The, mm. the, the guy ran AOL. He, yeah. He's he's a very intelligent man. Yeah. Um, he can think for himself. Uh, but just with how stark the change is, and I genuinely don't, 
know the answer. We can all well, guess. But I it's mean, like how, how much of it has to do with the fact that he's just being told this vision uh, and then he kind of digs into it more because he's like, yeah, 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 we got to do that. And then it just kind of all snowballs, you know? If, if you look at it, you know, from the time he took over 2010, the trajectory that the franchise was on, it sort of was going the right way up until 2017, right? Mm-hmm. There's that one down year where, you know, they fired, um, you know, Randy Whitman and then replaced him with Scott. But, you know, they were 49-win team. And they were one game, really one quarter away from going to the conference finals. And so that was two years ago. It's amazing. Like, that was two years ago. So, you know, and he, in that year, he kind of got drunk on the success and, you know, gave John his super max and gave Otto his axe. And it's like, okay, what happens next? Well, John gets hurt. And so you already have a built-in excuse for why you failed. And then I think last year was probably a jolt to the system because it was just off the rails from the jump. Like, that was just, like, you could tell from, like, opening night maybe, this is going to be an awful year. (laughs) Like, whatever you think this is going to be, it's going to be a lot worse than that. And then it turned out to be a terrible on-the-court product, you know, early on. And then John got hurt again and then got hurt even worse, you know, than he did the year before. And then it's like, well, what do we do? Like, what are we now? And I think that, um, you know, I think that so yeah, for fans, I mean, obviously it's like, oh, you should have seen this a long time ago. And obviously I, I felt the same. Like you could have seen this this kind of happening. But, um, but I, I think that if you just look back and just say from 2010 to 2017, they had the rebuild, right? They had to build up their draft assets, John had to grow, develop and grow into an all-star. Then you had to have Brad develop and grow into an all-star. All those things sort of came together. And then they had that, you know, what, four-year run of the playoffs, four and five years run of the playoffs. And then you get right there. So in his mind, he's probably thinking, we're not doing poorly. Um, you know, we're right there. And then last year, you can sort of say fluky injury. Okay, it didn't happen for us. But... um the way they went about kind of building the team after that, it was more of just sort of a let's get to the playoffs because that's our goal. Our goal was the playoffs. Our goal was never to build a championship team or to have a culture that players will find appealing. You know, like if you win, you're in D.C., players will come. Well, I think he learned that's not going to happen. You can have some success and players will still look at that and be like, yeah, that's the Withers. But now – you can kind of hit the reset, and it just it's just something that happened because things sort of went off course in a way that you didn't expect. John's injury, I think, sort of forced their hand in that respect, and then um, just the uh, you know the, just the last year was just such a miserable year. I'm sorry that's your first year <laughs> being around this team, but uh, <laughs> like for me, and I think I said this. Before, I bring it everywhere. I, but I, but I've said it before, like. It's funny how 10 years, I guess, goes around, but that 08-09 season was the worst year I'd been around, and they won 19 games. And for me, obviously, the you know, next year was really bad when they um, had the guns in the locker room. And that, that year was just everything bottom out. Ted took over that year, so or in and, and June after that year. So last year just felt... I felt the same energy, just like this thing is 
awful. Like, I don't see how it's ever going to recover. So now you're hitting a reset, and who knows if it's going to work out. But I think I think it was sort of for Ted, you could say, yeah, you should have seen this coming. But I can sort of understand why he didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a piece coming out tomorrow? I don't know. Depends sometime on, this yeah, week? Sometimes, yeah. On uh, Sashi Brown? Yeah. Uh, I will have something. I've got a piece of there today. I had a, had a really long conversation with Ted. I spoke to Tommy as well. Um, Ted was gracious enough to talk to me for a really long time on the phone. Um, some stuff up there about how he says he's going to change as an owner and how the Wizards are insanely going to change as an organization. Um, you know, or at least that's what he says he wants. Um, and yeah. some other some other stuff on some of the new hires and and all that. Uh, I think I'm probably going to have something on this news every day this week. Yeah, I mean, um, it'll be something to talk about. Um, I think fans will hopefully, uh, you know, either one way or another, it'll be furious, upset, or, you know, uh, or just excited that there's something that they can uh, talk about. Um, you know, like I said, the, the Wizards, is, it's been such a long time since, it's not even that they've been bad, it's that they've been completely irrelevant, you know? Like, the Clippers are bad, were, were bad, right? The Clippers were always considered bad, but they were relevant. They were so bad, they were just always relevant. The Wizards are so bad that no one cared. Like no one, like they could, they could go zero and eighty two and be like, ah, whatever. Nope. <laughs> the Clippers do it. We just everybody has the jokes because it's just built in with the Clippers. Um, but I, I just think just wait till Wizards After Dark brings them all back. <laughs> well, next season that might be the year. Like they get really, really bad. But um, I, I think that this is just a chance to sort of establish a culture, establish an identity but also move toward the course of being relevant. I, I think that they can look at, say, the Nets and the Clippers and sort of say, wow, look at those franchises. They're the step little uh, stepbrothers in their hometowns who had great summers because they've completely restructured their organization and the perception among players about what they are all about. And if you're a franchise that is sort of really hunting relevance you got to do something, and so I don't know if this is going to work, but I do give Ted credit for at least trying something because the worst thing you want to be is like to say the Charlotte Hornets, where you're just an NBA team that just exists, but nobody really cares about you. Um, and I think that you got to try try to do something different if what you've tried just led to just this, what you've seen this last year. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Uh, so, like I said, oh, you'll have sorry. stuff up. Uh, ben Standick's going to have something on, I think, John Thompson the third, right? So. Uh, David Aldridge had a story this morning on Ted, and I imagine DA is going to end up writing something yeah. later this week. Uh, I I think I will literally have something on this stuff every day this week. There's just so yeah. yeah, there's so much to write on. So I think I'm going to have something. Uh, anything else you want to plug? Uh, not yet, not yet. But um, I think that that's it. I'm, I'm just glad to be back in your old stomping grounds. <laughs> Perfect way to wrap it up. Uh, subscribe to Wizards After Dark. Uh, give us five stars. You can do that. Uh, leave a review. That's always nice. Um, don't let the team's record affect your listening experience. Where I'm here all the time. Yeah. For all of you Wizards fans, I can be your your therapeutic listen. But like, look, 
This is fascinating. This, this, for all we know, this is, we're going to look back on this as the day the Wizards changed. And for all we know, we're going to look back on this as the day the Wizards, oh, they changed. Yeah. And so I don't know, I don't know which, which one of those tones it's going to be. I genuinely don't. Like I said, like, my take is it's okay sometimes not to have a take and just be like, I, I don't know. How, how could I possibly know? Uh, but I think it is going to be fascinating to follow. I want to say one last thing. I know everybody on here listening to this is, uh, you know, listens because of Fred and they like what he does. But I just want to say that for a guy to come in late before the year starts, um, you really jumped in, did a great job all year, wrote some excellent articles. I hope people will subscribe to The Athletic. And if you haven't read his work, go back and just look at what he did all year. This man did a great job. He's one of the best right now. And I hope you really appreciate the fact that this man has a passion for this and he's really bringing it all the time. Wow. I'm tearing up over here. Hey, man, I think you deserve it, man. You, like I said, I, I, I'm a fan, and I think you've done a great job. So I, I, I'm going to big up people who do good work. You know what? Uh, why don't we podcast for another 10 minutes? I'm gonna, we'll, expand, <laughs> we'll expand some more on this. Well, I got to go now. Yeah, I think that works. Uh, uh, I'll, you know what? I'll do a segment with my mother after this. She can talk about how much she loves me. Um, all right. I'm, uh, I don't know if we'll podcast. If, if I get an interesting guest, maybe I'll podcast again later this week. Um, I think we pretty much covered anything. I'll obviously be back again next week. I'm always on at least once a week. So uh, maybe I'll do next week. Uh, or maybe I'll maybe I'll have a good guest on and... And we'll chat next week. We'll have some more interesting stuff to say. Either way, I will talk to you guys soon.